0: And uh, we started a mini-series last week, actually, and we were right in this period between finishing First John and coming upon the Advent season, so we're starting a mini-series, and it's called Ancient Wisdom for Modern Life, and so what we did last week is we used a classic Old Testament story as the backdrop for some New Testament practical truth, and we're going to do that again today, and you'll know, you'll know the story as soon as I bring up the, the next slide. Our lesson... Today is going to be called Provided, Provided, and we're actually going to look at a passage from Philippians chapter 4, so if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. We also have Bibles on the back bookshelf. If you need one of those Bibles, you can take it and use it or bring it home, and Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7 is where we're going to be today, and as you can tell, we're going to use a backdrop of an Old Testament story from Genesis, and we'll get to that towards the end. Provided is the lesson today. Before we get there, though, I'm going to read a list of things. Did you ever want to fix something? Is anyone here just a natural fixer like to see problems and fix things? I know Ron is that way. Ray, you're definitely that way. We've got a few people in our, in our church body who just like to fix things. Well, I do too, but not. I don't have any practical handy skills, so I'm more of a visionary. And I see a problem, I notice it, and I recognize it, and I say, someone fix that. And uh, that's sort of my duty. But I have some things in my life that I want to reform. Sometimes some things are old and they need, to be, need to be reformed. I'm going to give you a list of things that I wish could be fixed. List of things I want reformed. And if any any of you can help out with these things, get on it, okay? Because these things are old and they need to be reformed. Number one, and this won't surprise you, is Daylight Savings Time. Does anyone actually like Daylight Savings Time? We got one, Heather. Heather's digging in, she's going, yeah, I like it. That's okay. I want it to stop lying to us, though. I do. They call it Daylight Savings Time. I think it should be called the National Day of Darkness because that's all I feel from now until the next one is darkness so stop lying to us Daylight Savings Town what's that we're created for the benefit of farmers farmers okay so for the sake of the mar- wow we're gonna I'm not you guys sort it out the reason behind Daylight Savings all I know is from my perspective there's more darkness more darkness in the evenings more darkness in the Walker House how about this one number two bowling who has gone bowling? Who likes to bowl? Any bowlers out there? Any season? League of bowlers? Any league bowlers out there? No league bowlers? Well, I, I, bowling has been the same in my life and the same for your life. It hasn't changed in many years. Now, I don't think we need our own alley for bowling. Bowling is one of those things you throw at a carnival, right, or one of those fun parks. I don't, not, I don't think bowling needs its own alley until it improves, until it gets better. And I have an idea to make bowling better. I would like the little bowling pins to explode. <laughs> when we hit them, and laugh at us when we don't. Explode or laugh. That's what, what they should do when we hit them. And now mine would have a lot of laughter. Those bowling pins would be laughing at me a lot, but I think that would be a way of spicing up bowling. How about this one? Working out. Who works out regularly? Yeah, working out is something we should all do, but we don't like to do it. And I want to, I want to fix working out. I really do, because I want more impact on my body when my entire body is screaming at me because I worked out and It's in pain. And I see very minimal impact. That, that's got to be fixed. That's got to be fixed. I want it to have as much impact on my body when I work out as it is when I eat something I shouldn't. Because when I eat something that I shouldn't, I am impacted greatly for many days. And so if we could flip that around, that would be great. Help at number four, sneezing? Sneezing. I want to fix sneezing. I do. Now, I'm one of those people who lets out a full sneeze. My wife lets out like a little bird sneeze. She tries to stop the sneeze and uh, I, I try to tell her one day her eyeballs are going to come right out of her. I said, Janine, you got to let it out. you got to sneeze. But that's not the part I'm, I have a problem with. The part with the pro- I have a problem with about sneezing is I don't want to be scared every time I sneeze that I'm going to pull a muscle. Anyone else have those kind of sneezes that you feel it coming on, and you're like, man, I, the next, last time I did that, I hurt myself. And, and, and I also want this to happen. When someone says, bless you, I want an actual blessing. I do. If I sneeze and someone says, bless you, I want a cup of coffee. Someone should have a coffee ready to go. Here's another thing I want to fix and reform is kids. That's right. I want to fix kids. I think kids are broken. I do. When I put them to sleep at night, I want them to stay asleep at night. All parents know what I'm talking about, right? Instead of them declaring war on our sleep, which is what they do many, many nights. I want them to, to learn how to sleep. I really do. I think we would, we would get a whole lot better if kids learned how to sleep. Here's another one I want to reform and fix is cars and bodies. Cars and bodies. We all have one or both of those. I want them to stop breaking down all the time. They break down too much. I want them to start acting like they care about us instead of hating me most of my life. And maybe get prettier as they get older, right? Instead of needing more makeup and duct tape um, to look normal. I don't wear makeup, but duct tape maybe. Here's another one I want to fix, Walmart. I think Walmart's broken. Anyone else not really like Walmart? Who avoids Walmart? Yes, we have a few. I want to actually want to go into Walmart one day. I do. One day, I just want to want to go in there instead of feeling like I just pulled the pin out of a grenade and I got to get out of there as soon as possible because that's how it feels when I go into Walmart. I start the clock and I got five minutes. Five minutes, I want out the door with whatever I needed. Number eight is heat. Heat, I don't like heat. I mean, sometimes I know it's necessary, but heat bothers me. I think it's broken. Heat tortures my body all summer long, and I don't like that. And then when winter comes, it steals all my money. (laughs) Heat is a bully. I want it fixed. I want to try global cooling for a change. Anyone else? Global cooling, I could get behind global cooling. Here's another thing I think needs fixing is cereal boxes. Cereal boxes haven't changed in like 100 years, right? (laughs) We have to rip it open like we're a rabid Wolverine and the cereal goes everywhere. How many times have I had, has that done to me? I've tried to rip it open a cereal box for a child and I end up tossing the cereal across the room. Am I the only one who does it? You're all looking at me like I'm a moron. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I need to be fixed. But I think they need to design the cereal box to actually help us get the cereal. And my final one is getting sick. My family is sick again today. I don't like that because it was only a couple weeks ago that we had a cold. Here's what I want to say to sickness, okay? Sickness, if you drop by, which is okay from time to time, say everything you want to say the first time, okay? Don't show up next week saying there's a few things I forgot to say, <laughs> coming around and making us all sick again. And also, I want us to please be able to sleep when we're sick. I want to tell sickness, you could have 16 hours of the day. But give us those final eight, okay? Let us sleep and get over those things. And I'm praying that for my family because last night was miserable. We were up like, I don't think, 12 times or something like that. And we didn't get any sleep. So some things need to be reformed. Some things need fixing. Now, thankfully, we have something in the Christian life that doesn't need to be reformed. Aren't you thankful for that? Because we have everything and everyone that we need. And we're going to talk about that today. If you take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4, We're going to talk about a very famous passage today that I think is going to encourage you and maybe inspire you and motivate you. It's Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. And it's the Apostle Paul this time reading, or writing this. And he says in Philippians chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A nice, short, sweet, powerful passage we're going to look at today, and it's all on the topic of provided. We have a three point outline today we want to look at. Number one is worthy of praise. Number two is worthy of glory, and number three is worthy of trust. And I believe our Lord is worthy of all of those. Let's start with this, worthy of praise. Don't you you enjoy when life is up, when life is good, when life is fun? We all enjoy that, right? From time to time. (laughs) That's a big ice cream. Don't you love when life is fun? Life is enjoyable life is happy we all enjoy that I I think that's just when life is the most at the peak of joy the peak of happiness is when we're enjoying something thrilling the problem with these experiences is that even though that ice cream is very huge we we get these things in in short little snippets of time don't we and let's use roller coasters for example because I don't like roller coasters I don't like them based on the concept of standing in line for an hour and a half for a 45 second thrill ride I don't like that I think it's backwards um, but I understand the concept of wanting to enjoy something like a roller coaster, but I think it's so short-lived. And most of life is built that way, isn't it? We have fun, we enjoy a vacation or a great season, and then it's over. And Many times I've heard people say about vacations when they get back, what do you need from a vacation? Another vacation to make up for the vacation, because the vacation costs you energy and sleep and logistics. But sadly, that's how our life is built. Sadly, we're up, we enjoy things, and then that experience is very short. Here's something else I've noticed in our culture is that we're always chasing the next thing, aren't we? No matter what we have, there's always something else around the corner that's a little bit better. A little bit shinier, a little bit faster, a little bit better camera. And we all got to flock to get that thing because we think by having that thing, it's going to make us so much more happy. The sad reality, though, is it doesn't. It never does. Because as soon as you have that something, there's another new something right around the corner and you have to continue to chase that. It's called The Rat Race, and I'm tired of The Rat Race. Now, my favorite movie of all time is called A Christmas Carol. Anyone like The Christmas Carol? It comes. We watch it at least once a year, more like five times a year. But I love that movie because of the, the story in that movie, or the, the, excuse me, the lesson in that movie. I decided to pull a snippet of this from the Christmas Carol. I just, every time I watch this movie or read this book, I sort of pause at this scene and just sort of, I don't know, I just sort of reflect on what this passage says. So I'm just gonna read it. It's, It's from the moment when the Cratchits are having their Christmas dinner together and the mom brings out the pudding for dessert. And it says, "'Oh, what a wonderful pudding,' Bob Cratchit said, and calmly, too, that he regarded it as the greatest success achieved by Mrs. Cratchit since her marriage. Mrs. Cratchit said that now the weight was off her mind, she could confess that she had her doubts about the quantity of flour. Everybody had something to say about it, but nobody said or thought that it was too small of a pudding for such a large family. It would have been flat heresy to do so. Any Cratchit would have blushed to hint at such a thing. You know why I like that passage? Because it reminds me what it's like to be content. To be content with what we have. And as you know the story, the Cratchits were not a well-off family, but they were well-off because of their contentment and their happiness. Well, we have something like that in the Christian life that Paul's going to remind us of today. And he says this to us, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Paul does not often repeat the same phrase, but he does here. He does here. He wants to remind us two different times how important it is for us to rejoice. Not just be content, but to actually be happy and joyful with what we have in the Lord. And I think that's a great reminder for us today. Because sometimes we we feel like this in life. We are so thankful for what we have, we're so blessed that we just rejoice. And I've done this. I have. I've I've stopped whatever I'm doing because of what I've just experienced and, and I rejoice. I remember when we moved here to Littleton. I remember doing that. I remember just rejoicing with our family, saying, Thank you, Lord, for what you've done to bring us to this beautiful area and this beautiful church. But I'm gonna be sad to say and honest to say that I don't always rejoice. Sometimes I'm down, sometimes I'm complaining. Sometimes I wish life was a little bit better, a little bit sweeter. But Paul reminds us that we have much to rejoice about it. I hope that you would say amen to that. Now, when I was going through the process of coming here, and I, I, I told many of you that I have went through about 30 interviews on our journey up to Littleton. Not because 30 churches didn't want me, okay? I just have to clarify that. <laughs> so that could sound really bad. Um, it's just a process. When you go through this process, you have a long process with people who are looking at you and vice versa. You're looking at their church. And you end up filling out what's called a resume. Who's done that? Who's filled out the resume from time to time? Yeah, it's always an awkward thing what to put on there, you know. But I remember having those interview processes, and and occasionally they would come up with a question, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? To which I would tell them, I have no weaknesses, only strengths. (laughs) I'm teasing. But I would tell them things like, well, I'm I'm a good speaker, you know, and I have a big family, I'm a good father, and I'm kind of funny Um, every now and then and uh, things like that. You just come up with a resume of things that you want to tell them that are strengths. And I found that to be a very awkward thing because you know, people don't like talking about the things that they're good at, typically. But you also don't like talking about your weaknesses as well. But generally speaking, when you're filling out a resume, you want to highlight the good, don't you? Highlight all the positive things that you have been able to accomplish, all the positive things in your character, all the positive things in your characteristic traits, all the positive things in your personality. Spiritually, this happens sometimes too. We like to flatter ourselves spiritually. What's interesting about a spiritual resume, though, is we don't have to fill ours out because God already did it for us. And this is a passage we've looked at several times, but I, I thought it was fitting to put it back up here again today. It's Ephesians chapter two verses one to three. Now we know what the rest of Ephesians 2 says. It gets a whole lot better after this, thankfully. But at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul, again writing, is giving us, all of us, our spiritual resume. And it's not pretty, is it? Let's just re- read it and work through it a little bit. He says in verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Well, that would be a bad thing to put on a resume. I'm dead. Okay. Well, moving on. Not that you can move on if you're dead. But he says, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, who was that? The devil himself. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That would also be a bad thing to put on a resume. Follower of Satan. (laughs) That's not good. It's not getting any better. Let's keep moving on. Hopefully things get a little bit better. He says in verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. If it hasn't gotten bad already, now we are selfish. Self-seeking our own desires. We're dead followers of Satan and selfish. Could it possibly get worse? Sadly, it does. He says in the last part of verse 3, and we're by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. Now that's, that's not funny, is it? Condemned. That right there, according to scripture, according to God, not according to me, not according to how I feel about myself or how I feel about you. I would not paint things that way because I'm not mean. I don't, I'm not harsh by nature. But God isn't either, but he is a truth teller. And he's telling us the truth today, that if we were really going to look at our spiritual resume before Christ, this is how we look, dead, followers of the devil, selfish and condemned. Now, that's a very unflattering picture of our soul but it's a very honest picture of our soul and that's something we have to remind ourselves of today because we're trying to get to the end game which is rejoicing I brought up this movie already I'll bring it up one more time at the end of this movie maybe you remember this scene where Scrooge is starting to sort of put the pieces together as the spirits are visiting him in the night because for a while he doesn't know who they're talking about he doesn't know just talking about some random guy who might be dying who's done some bad things and you could tell Scrooge is a little confused. But towards the end of the last spirit, he starts to figure it out because things become a little bit more clear. Um, the last spirit shows him his grave and it says his name on it. He's able to wipe away the, the snow, I believe it is. And it says Ebenezer Scrooge on it. And now Scrooge realizes that this whole time the spirits have been talking about him. Have been talking about what a miserable wretch he is. And that's the moment when Scrooge starts to realize how bad things have become in his life. And how bleak the situation is. And if you remember that, that's the turning point for Scrooge. That's the point where Scrooge starts to realize what a wretch he's been. What a miserable person he's been. And now he wants to change, but now he believes it's too late. This is the final moment for Scrooge. Thankfully, we know the rest of the story there. But this is how bleak it was for us, even much worse than Scrooge. Scrooge was looking at his own physical death. According to Ephesians 2, verse 3, we are looking at something far more bleak than physical death. We are looking at condemnation. Hell. We're looking at being condemned and damned for our sins because our sins are offensive to a holy God. Now, that is not what God desires. I want to say that very clearly. God does not desire that any of us face condemnation. Not a soul. Not one of us. That's not God's desire. God's desire for us is repentance and faith and salvation and eternal life. But because he tells the truth in every aspect God tells us the truth about how we were before Jesus. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. If we would stand before God based on our sins without a Savior, we would be condemned forever. And that's a sad reality, but it's a, truth, a truthful reality. Thankfully, though, that's not where the story ends, is it? Aren't you glad that's not your real resume today? Aren't you thankful your resume has been wiped clean, has been changed permanently, eternally, because of one single event? The Lord Jesus stepping off his throne and coming to this earth and then eventually giving up his life and then eventually rising from the grave. That person has come and has changed the entire scene so that you and I don't have to be that anymore. Followers of the devil, selfish, dead, awaiting condemnation, all because Jesus came. Jesus came. Now, look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. We flip back a page. Ephesians chapter 1, this is what Paul says. Because he's talking to a church, he's talking to people who have trusted in Jesus. And look how great the picture has become now that we are believers in Jesus. Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Not a few. Not a dozen. Not many. All of them. God has decided because of his son, because of the worth and the value and the beauty of what Jesus has done for us, he has decided to unload all of the blessings that he has and give them all to us. Make them all accessible to us so that we have every single one of them as long as we have Christ. We have it all. We went from dead, from selfish, from following the devil, from condemned to now we are Children of God, heirs of the kingdom of God, and we have every single one of God's tools and resources available to us. Why would that be? Why would that be for someone who is so ugly and sinful and dark to receive all of these amazing blessings? And it's quite simple Jesus is that valuable, Jesus is that beautiful, Jesus is that sufficient. Jesus is that loving. Our God is that loving. So that now we have everything that we have in Jesus Christ. We're coming upon the Thanksgiving season, and it's the time of year that we we do this. We go around the table, and we say things that we're thankful for, and we at least mention one thing and say, I'm thankful that I have my family. I'm thankful that I have my God, my salvation. Do you guys remember the song, though, that said, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One? Remember that song? We grew up with that song, and I was... Thought about that song, going, but that would take a long time to name all of my blessings and count them one by one. And I think that's the point. Because in Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, we should abound at Thanksgiving. That's a lot different than once a year saying, Thank you, God. Or once before a meal, thank you, God. Abounding in Thanksgiving is like it's a constant pattern and theme of your life. Is you're just always thankful. Could we be? Always thankful? Could we always abound in thanksgiving for what God has given us? If I believe we counted all blessings and named them one by one, I think we'd have to be. Because we're so blessed. And we would feel like the Cratchit family going, How can I complain about the smallest things of life when I'm so blessed? When I've been awakened spiritually, when I've been given eternal life, when I've been given the truckload of God's blessings and spiritual blessings, how could I find things to worry about and complain about? And I believe that's one of the best resources for us to use against the enemy. He wants to make us anxious and complainers. What if we flipped the tables on him and started thanking God over and over and over and over? Because you know what happens when when you're thankful? You remember. And you know what happens when you remember? You offer up praise. And you know what happens when you offer up praise? Your faith grows. And you're stronger and you're more equipped to do what God has called you to do. I think thanksgiving and rejoicing is a gift to us. I really do. So Paul says rejoice and I want you to notice the phrase that you can sort of gloss over here but it's basically the most important phrase. Rejoice in the Lord. Notice what he doesn't say. Rejoice in your circumstances. Or rejoice when someone's kind to you. He also doesn't say rejoice in your sufferings. He doesn't say rejoice in your trials. None of those things are worthy of our rejoicing, right? Because it would all depend on how we feel. It would all depend on what life is doing to us. But When we rejoice in the Lord, is there ever anything to not rejoice in? Is there anything to complain about when you think about Him? When you think about what He's done for us? Is there any reason that we would stop and go, you know what, He's not worthy of that. And I think the answer is, for those of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, no way. We would rejoice in the Lord every time we thought about Him. And the answer is, think about Him. Reflect on what you have because of Him. Where would you be today without him? So Paul reminds us to rejoice. Again, I will say, rejoice. What does Jesus provide us? Let's answer this question first for the first time here today. What does Jesus provide us? Well, we've talked about it a little bit. He offers us true and lasting hope, joy and peace, and the opportunity to serve our God. And it's all because he loves us, not because we're worthy of that. A person who follows the devil, a person who is selfish, a person who is dead and condemned is not worthy of that. But God loves us that much that he gives us Jesus who allows us that joy, that hope, and that peace forevermore. But not only that, do you consider the opportunity to serve God a gift? Because for a long time I didn't. And now that my eyes are open, I see what a blessing that is for me to be able to use what God has given me back for his service. For me to be able to say on my resume, I'm a servant of the king. I serve the king of kings. I am God's servant. What a blessing that is. What an amazing reality it is to know that I have the purpose of purposes. All the purposes on life, which there are many good ones. Serving Jesus, serving the God, the almighty God is the highest purpose of all. And Jesus granted me that also. All because he loves us. Therefore, I believe Jesus is worthy of our praise. Is he worthy of our praise? We just praised him, so I'm guessing you guys all believe that. You came here to praise him. But does it have to end on Sundays? Does it have to end on Sunday mornings? The answer is absolutely not. It should continually happen, be a pattern and a theme of our days to pause and reflect on what we have in Jesus. He's worthy of praise. Number two, he's worthy of glory. (laughs) Anyone know what this emoji is called? Someone said it meh I don't know if that's a word or been a word for a long time, but it's a, it's a word now meh that's what that emoji's called meh It's kind of like how you feel some days right Just how, how are you feeling meh It's like this plus this equals this It's like sometimes I'm good, sometimes I'm bad, sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down right now I just feel kind of meh. And uh, it's sad that sometimes we feel that way. It's sad sometimes that we have that face on, right, as Christians, as people who have been so blessed that people have to look at us and go, Feeling kind of meh today? And then sometimes it's completely the opposite. Sometimes we are fully elated with life. And it could be a bunch of different things. It's not because you're just a sports fan, but it could be anything in life. You got a promotion. People that were usually mean to you were nice to you today. I don't, you missed both stoplights. Sometimes it's that, it's that trait. But sometimes we feel fully elated, right? And the joy is at the highest it could possibly be. And we like that feeling. I like that feeling. I like feeling like my joy is at the peak. Life could not possibly get better. But as I told you before, it's short lived. Elation in this life, towards things in this life, are short lived. They don't last, they don't linger, sadly. And not only that, but the glory in this earth is very shallow and very cheap. When I give my glory to sports people that don't even know I'm alive, and yet I cheer from the top of my lungs for people that have no idea that I even exist, never think about me, would never give me a dime. If I was in the hospital, would never come visit me because they don't even know I'm there. Even if they did, they'd say no. But I give them my full glory. That means glory in this earth is cheap. We give it to people who don't deserve it. Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 5, he says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, I thought that was a little confusing word, reasonableness. I know what it means to be reasonable. But what is Paul telling us there? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Well, I decided to do a little digging and find out what exactly that word is implying. Like, what is meant by that word to be reasonable in all things? Well, I looked it up in the Greek, and I'm going to try to say this word, epikes, I believe it's called, epikes. It occurs one time in the Bible. One time, and this is the only time this word occurs. It's in Philippians 4, verse 5, and it says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. But the problem is, is epikes, only occurs once, it's hard to know exactly what that word, what is intended by that word. And so I decided to look up other translations of the Bible, thinking that would help me. Well, it did and it didn't. Because they all disagree. (laughs) In Ephesians, excuse me, Philippians chapter four, verse five, the English Standard Version says, "Let your reasonableness be known to everyone." Uh, the King James Version says, "Let your moderation be known to all men." The NASB says, "Let your gentle spirit be known to all men." The NLT says, "Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do." The ASV says, "Let your forbearance be known to all men," and the Amplified Version takes a little bit further. Just decided to throw them all in there. Yeah, the Amplified. <laughs> Let your graciousness, unselfishness, mercy, tolerance, and patience be known to all people. They just tried to include every good word in there. What's the point? The point is, we're a little unsure what is meant by that word. Is it reasonableness? Is it gentleness? Is it considerance? considerateness? Is it forbearance? Is it graciousness? It could be all of them. It could be one of them. And I'm not sure I can give you a concrete answer to say, which one nailed it? And it's tough. You can do your own digging. But I am going to summarize them all for you, okay? Because I think it's very easy to summarize all of what is intended there. Because guess who these words remind me of? Remind me of Jesus. No matter what word you pick there, it reminds me of the Lord Jesus Christ. In my paraphrase, I would say, let the entire world know that you're with Jesus. Let the entire world know that you desire to act like Jesus. And what did Jesus do most of all? He didn't even glorify himself, which he could have. He's the son of God, but he came down to this earth and he glorified his father. He glorified the name of God. No matter what he was doing, he found the, the angle and the pathway to God's glory. And I think Paul is reminding us that we have a special privilege in this world to, to act like Jesus and to glorify the one who is worthy of that. He goes on to say in verse six, do not be anxious about Anything. Now that's a high bar, isn't it? Do not be anxious about anything, Paul, but in everything by prayer and supplication. And the word supplication basically means begging, earnest asking. Let by, by everything, by prayer and supplication, with, notice it again, thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know what Paul's telling us? You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be riddled with anxiety. Why? Because you have God. You have a God. And he loves you. And he's powerful. And he's nearby. And he listens to all your prayers. Instead of being anxious, why not ask him? Why not go to him? Why not lay your burdens in front of him? And why not do it with thanksgiving as if you expect him to answer them according to his will? That's what Paul is telling us. What if the world really saw that with Christians? that we're anxious about nothing or next to nothing. And that instead of being anxious, instead of being worried, we offered our prayers to God and we trusted that God was going to sort it out. I think that would be a very powerful testimony for the world who lives in the camps of anxiety and worry. In fact, I did a little bit of uh, statistics research and I noticed that some of these things are on the rise. Generalized anxiety disorder. Here's some of the symptoms. Restlessness, fatigue, Excessive worry, increased muscle aches, (coughs) impaired concentration, irritability, difficulty sleeping. A lot of people have this. A lot of people. In fact, anxiety is on the rise, 60% up. Stress is on the rise, 76% up. And depression is on the rise, 56% up. That's a bad stat, isn't it? That's a very bad stat. The world is getting worse, darker, more anxious, more worried. In fact, you would go, well... Maybe it's just the world. Certainly the church isn't like that, right? Well, I didn't have to look very long to find a couple of resources that are written specifically for the church about this very topic. I have not read these books. I cannot recommend them or not recommend them. But I just want you to know they're out there. They're out there. And there's tons of resources out there for the anxiety problem that we have within the church. And that's when I started to realize, boy, that's, that's a problem. That's a problem. And why is that a problem? If what Paul has just told us, should it be such a big problem? Because Jesus came. Jesus came to this earth for people who were anxiety ridden, for people who were frail and fragile and susceptible to harm. Jesus came to this earth so that he could separate us from all things that were seeking to harm us. Because he loves us that much. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And notice this phrase. Why, Paul? Your Lord is at hand. Now, I think there's two ways to look at that by saying the Lord is at hand, but I think they both work. By saying the Lord is at hand, you could be thinking of the the passage from Joshua 1.5 where it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, which means God is always near. God is always near you. He is always available to you. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near any time you need him. Call out to him. Reach out to him. Ask him for help. Lay your requests before him. He is near. But I think it'd also be right to say that he's coming again soon. Because in Revelation 22 verses 12, that's exactly what Jesus says. Behold, I am coming soon. And I think it's helpful to look at both of those. The Lord is near, he's accessible at any moment that I need him, but he's also on his way back. You ever get one of those text messages or send one of those text messages on my way? I send those to Janine so she can know, you know, do whatever you need to do before I come in the door and take all the kids and do crazy things with them. (laughs) Because that's what I do as a dad. Um, So I give her a little bit of a heads up on my way so she knows she has about five minutes before I enter the door. Well, the Lord has told us that. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Behold, I'm coming soon. And it could be very, very soon. But how would that change our outlook on life if we believed that the Lord was near at all times and on his way back? Do you think we'd act like Jesus a little bit more? I asked my children that. I said, guys, if we had 50 years to live in this life and we knew that, that nothing could take that away, what would we do with our time? And they came up with a bunch of answers. And I kept whittling it down until we got down to a week. I said, what would we do if we had a week left? An only week. And then we whittled it down even more. I said, what if we had 24 hours? you know what answers I got from my kids? They said, love people. That's what they said. That's what my kids said. If we had 24 hours left, they said, we should love as many people as we can. And I thought that was a really cool answer. (laughs) Let your reasonableness, your Christ-likeness be known to everyone because the Lord is near you, accessible to you, and he's on his way back. I think that's a powerful thing to notice. And again, he says, do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Remember that verse that says, cast your burdens upon him for he cares for you. What happens when you take a burden and you cast it on someone else? You no longer shoulder it. It's no longer your burden. You've taken the burden, you've put it on someone's shoulders who is more capable, more strong than you. And that's what God says to us. Take your burden and put it on my shoulders. And therefore, you have nothing to be anxious about because now it's my problem. It's not your problem anymore. Job put it this way. And I love this passage because of this word right here. Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. You know what's awesome about that passage from Job? He didn't even know his name. He had never heard the name Jesus. The name Jesus had not been uttered once in the Bible. But Job knew him so personally, so intimately That even when Job was in the midst of the worst trials he's ever been in, he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And my Redeemer is for me. And my Redeemer loves me. And my Redeemer is capable. And my Redeemer is strong. And that no matter what happens in this life, as long as I have my Redeemer, I'll be okay. Can you say that today too? That you know that your Redeemer lives. I hope that you can. Now, that might look odd, and that's odd on purpose. I did that. I did a little editing. That's my editing capabilities right there. <laughs> if anyone needs gra- graphical help someday, you can come right to me. <laughs> I just want to tell you a little bit of a story. It's a, to- it's a story that I've told you before. Some of you have heard it. Some of you haven't heard it. So it's a rerun. I'm sorry. But uh, one day, I was driving on the Pennsylvania-, Pennsylvania Turnpike. This was several years ago. I'm from Pennsylvania. And I was driving on the Turnpike one day, and I, I told you this. I saw something really bright in the road. It was one of those days when the sun was out in full bloom and hardly anybody was on the road. So it wasn't, it wasn't crowded on the road that day, it was just me and the road. And I'm driving and I notice something so bright. And it's on the road, and I could tell it's on the road about a mile ahead of me. And it's glowing, it's just glowing on the road and I, I just can't fathom what it was. I couldn't imagine what that thing was that was glowing so bright, so brilliant that I almost needed sunglasses for it. And I was so excited to get near it so I could take a long look at it because I'd never seen anything like this before. And I kept thinking, is it a piece of jewelry? Is it a, like a diamond ring? Is it, is it a big flashlight? Is it some powerful light? I was so excited to get nearby this thing. And so I was driving and driving, getting closer and closer. And the closer I got, the stronger the light was. And as I drove right by, and I kind of took my eyes off the road just for a moment just to see what this thing was. You know what it was? I think some of you have heard this story, so you know what it was already. It was, it was a reflector sticker. A reflector sticker had fallen off the cement median that was between the two roads, and it was laying face down. And the sun was hitting it. And so when the sun hit that reflector sticker, that reflector sticker bounced into my eyeball, and what I was seeing was the sun. Do you see the analogy? The reflector sticker on its own, in fact, when I looked at the reflector sticker, I was like, that's all? That's all that thing was? I was disappointed as I drove away going, man, I thought it was going to be something crazy. And as I drove away, I started to realize that's exactly what we're like. Nothing special on our own, are we? But when we're in the specific position to reflect the glory of God, guess what happens to our lives? We glow. Now the moon has no light in and of itself, does it? No moon. Or no light in the moon, excuse me. And, um, but some nights, my, my sons and I will go out and just stare at the moon because of how bright and full, and brilliant it is. And what does that mean? Why is the sun so bright that some nights? Why is it so brilliant? Why does it illuminate the sky on certain occasions? Because it's in the proper position to reflect the glory of the sun to this earth. That's how it's been made. And I think that's a perfect example for what we are as Christians. We're nothing special, but when we're in the perfect position to be lined up next to Jesus, we can glow to this earth Because we are near Jesus. We are reflecting his beauty to this earth and someone might see us glowing and say, why are you glowing when everything around me is dark? And we could say, well, let me tell you about who I know who happens to be really bright himself. Question number two was, what does Jesus provide us? Well, he provides us every opportunity to reflect the glory and the goodness of God. And I truly believe that's a gift to be a reflector sticker to be the moon in this world to the Son of God. Therefore, Jesus is worthy of glory. And I hope that you would say he is worthy of glory. He is worthy of our glory. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our reflecting his beauty to this earth. And we got one more, worthy of trust. Is Jesus worthy of our trust? Now, There aren't a lot of trustworthy people <laughs> in this life. In fact, I would even say there's a lot of untrustworthy people in this life, right? And some of us have been led down from time to time by trusting the wrong people. Um, these are two very extreme examples of that. I hope, those, I hope those are fake. You don't think that'll work, Roger? No, in a pinch that'll work. That, in a pinch that'll work. <laughs> Guys, if you have shower trouble, call Roger. 1-800-MAKE-IT-HOT and he'll come and make your shower feel all good. Here's the problem with this world, though, is this world lets us down all the time. And it doesn't matter who it is. It could be some huge company. They can let you down. It could be a next-door neighbor that is usually trustworthy. They can let you down. It could be a family member who loves you more than anyone, at least they claim to. They can let you down, which means there's a lot of untrustworthy people. Typically, that's fine. If we're let down in certain circumstances of life, we can generally overcome those things on our own or with someone else's help. But what if there's real trouble? What if the trouble is so intense, there's nothing we can do to remedy it? There's nothing we can do to overcome the trouble. It's so big, so intense, so scary, we've come to the end of ourselves. What do we do then? Yes, that's right, Helen. Notice what it says in the last verse here that we're going to look at today. In the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus." The peace of God will. Not the storm going away. Not the trouble going away. Now, sometimes God does. He takes the trouble away from us. But sometimes the trouble continues and the peace of God comes in and changes our perspective on the trouble. Is that true? And Paul says that when you have that peace, it surpasses all understanding. You have no idea why you're feeling the peace that you're feeling. Other people are looking at your life going, why are they so peaceful? The storm is so intense. It's raging on. And yet this person's at peace. It surpasses human understanding. But when you have it, you know it. It changes your world, changes your life. And sometimes this is how life feels too, right? Sometimes it just feels like we're in the eye of the storm. That right now it's calm. You know, right now it feels okay but I know I'm in the eye of the storm. The trouble's going to come right back tomorrow, next week. Or as soon as you get up from one wave, another wave is right behind it, right? You just surpassed one. You just got over one wave and you're like, Lord, thank you for getting me over that, one, that wave. And then another wave crashes on you and then another wave crashes on you. And sadly, that's how life feels sometimes. But thankfully, we have a helper. We have someone who came down to this earth to help us. And he's the same person we've been talking about this whole time. I like this translation of the word. In Philippians 4, it says, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It surpasses mankind's ability to understand it, and it transcends the world. It's peace unlike the world has ever seen. The peace of God. Do you know how peaceful God is right now? Do you think God is at peace? We watched this movie several weeks ago. I don't even know what it was called. But there, in this movie, there was this really, really strong guy. Really strong guy. And during one of, the, one of the parts of the scenes of this movie, this guy walks down to a bad part of town where some bad guys were. Um, but this guy was huge. I mean, huge, like an Incredible Hulk kind of guy. And he's walking down these alleys, and these bad guys are there giving him the eye. You know, like the eye, like I'm going to hurt you kind of thing. And this bad guy walked down with full confidence toward these bad guys. And these bad guys came at him. And they realized very quickly this guy was not to be messed with because he was huge and a good fighter. And this guy walked down this part of the alley with perfect peace. And it's like my mighty immediately went to this verse and said, what is it like to have the peace of God? Do you think God is ever worried? Do you think God is ever anxious? Do you think God is ever losing sleep going, oh man, how's that going to turn out? Or do you think the almighty God sits and stands in full confidence knowing what he is capable of that no one who comes against him can do a thing to him? And we're his children. We're his people. And not only that, but I was reminded of this promise from Romans chapter 5 where Paul said, for if while we were enemies, which we talked about that, our spiritual resume was really bad, (laughs) while we were enemies, that's when God reconciled us to God by the death of his son. Take that away so you can see it. We were enemies and then God reconciled us. While we were enemies, God reconciled us. While we were at the worst possible Place we could be. God saved us right then, He did. He said, Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? If you were reconciled at the worst time of your life, if you were saved when it was so bleak, now that we are His children, Paul wants us to know that we have everything we need. Everything. Because we are His children. That means it doesn't matter what happens in the storm. Because sometimes they told you that the storm will calm. You pray to the God, and God will take the storm away. And sometimes they'll let it rage on. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because you have the Lord over the storm. You have the Lord in charge of the storm. And you know what kind of peace that floods me to know that the one who loves me the most can in a moment calm the waters and the waves? And the waters will cease, the storm will stop. And sometimes he says, Todd, trust me, and the waters are going to continue. The waves are going to continue to hit you. The wind and the scary are not going to stop, at least for this season. But I need you to trust me because I'm with you. That right there is the peace of God. That even though the storms rage on, your spirit is at peace. So he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. I love that phrase, guard them, guard them will guard your hearts and minds. The peace of God will stand in the way of all those who want to do harm to you. And you will have peace. Instead of worry, instead of anxiety, you will know peace, which doesn't make any sense to the world. It just doesn't. It doesn't line up with their logic, with their worldview. You're supposed to have worry and anxiety in the midst of storms. and supposed to have peace in the midst of calm. But when some people have peace in the midst of the raging sea it's going to look otherworldly and that's the point that we have a God who loves us finally what does Jesus provide us? he provides us the chance to experience peace even in the midst of the storm because I can't promise you as your pastor that all storms will be calmed as soon as you pray you might pray and God will say I've given you exactly what you need to bear up I've given you my grace I'll be with you and the storm will continue but I will be there and the peace will be there and nothing will harm your child. Therefore, Jesus is worthy of our trust. And this is a lesson to me as much as it is to you guys. I do not excel at these things. These things were reminders to me today. Now, I want to close on a story that I told you we'd come back to. And I just want to read it. I don't have time to talk about this or study this sometime Lord willing, we will. But most of you know this story already, and I'm simply going to use it as the illustration and the backdrop for someone who was in this kind of position. It was Abraham. In Genesis 22, I'm going to read the account. In Genesis 22, verse 1, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Now, who was Isaac? That's the one thing I'll mention Isaac was special, wasn't he? They had Isaac when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. And God promised them Isaac many, many years before, and it never came to fruition until they were really, really old. And then finally, when they had Isaac, it was like the most amazing day they've ever experienced because God kept his promise. They got their son, the son whom they love. And it just sets the context for what God's going to ask Abraham to do. And he said, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I should tell you. Wow. Take your son whom you love and offer him there as a burnt offering to me. What does Abraham do? Abraham arose early the next morning, saddled his donkey, took his two, two, two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took his hand and the fire and the knife. So they both went together. Both of them went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Now that's an awkward question to hear from your son whom you're about to offer as the burnt offering to the Lord. But that's what his son asked his father. Notice what Abraham says. Abraham said in response, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now that is next level obedience, isn't it? Next level faith. But he did it. He took his son he put him on the altar, raised the knife in the air. He was ready to obey to that level. But I love what this picture symbolizes. I have no way of knowing what that actually looked like. But I love the symbolism of this picture because he's obeying to the point that the knife is in the air. But you notice where his eyes are? Where are his eyes? Heavenward. I think he's in full expectation of what's about to transpire. Because he said it to his son. The Lord will provide what takes place. In verse 10, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided boy isn't that a beautiful passage when you start to realize that Abraham exactly had what we have today the same promises the same God the same love the same assurance and then God told him to do something really really hard and Abraham said I will but did God let him down did God break a promise did God show himself like many others to be untrustworthy no said, God himself will provide the lamb. Now this is a foreshadowing of a bigger story, isn't it? It's not just the lamb and the ram for Isaac's sake. What was the lamb of God going to be sent one day for whose sake? Our sake. And it was going to be Jesus, the son of God, who was going to be sent to be the salvation, the savior of the world. What's the point today? God has provided everything we need through Jesus. And I mean everything. I'm going to highlight that word. If we need it, we have it. If we have access to it, we need it. Let's look at a few things. Number one, let us trust Jesus for eternal life. Because John 3.16 says we can. If we believe, we have eternal life. Let us depend upon Jesus for help in this life because we have all spiritual blessings through Jesus. Let us stay near Jesus for wisdom and help. Let us follow Jesus for truth and righteousness and let us reflect Jesus to the dark world. If we need it, we have it. In Jesus, everything that we need. So finally, what does Jesus provide us? He provides us everything. Everything we need in order to serve and glorify God. We have nothing we don't have. Everything that we have, God has given to us. Everything that we need, God has promised to us. Everything that God says, I need you to obey me, he has provided so that we can accomplish that. And I've just, I, I was just floored by that this week, going, man, I, so many times I go to God and go, God, if you gave me more of this, if you gave me more of these kind of people, if I had more rest, if I had more strength, I'd do more for you. And that's when God reminded me this week, Todd, you have everything you need. What are you doing for me already and how are you doing it? The answer is by my strength and by my grace. You have everything you need. So what will we do with everything that the Lord has provided for us? And that's our take-home truth for today. If we believe that, if we believe he's worthy of trust and glory and obedience, what will we do with everything he has provided us? Take it and waste it or take it and use it for his glory and for Jesus. And that's our lesson today, provided. And I hope that encourages you today because we're being told the very opposite in this world, that we don't have enough, that there's many reasons to worry and fret and be anxious and to fear And it's a lie. If we simply look to the scriptures, God will remind us that there's nothing that we lack. And even when we're troubled and even when we're worried, God says, the Lord is at hand. Come near me. Get my grace. Get my strength. And I hope that encourages you today. Let's bow in prayer. Father, this is a reminder to my soul, and I thank you for that, Father, because I, even as a pastor, Father, I struggle sometimes wondering, how can I get by? Or what's the next scary thing? Or who's the next person that's going to hurt me? And Father, I just need to be reminded today that you have been there and you are with us and you have provided everything we need. Father, I pray for this church as a body. We're going forward for Christ. And the potential is great. But Father, we need you every step of the way because we are small and we are insignificant and we are weak, but you are big and loving and almighty. And your promises stand secure. Father, help us to stand up on those promises today and to do big things for Jesus, and to reflect his glory to this earth, because you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more song together.